0: This episode contains content not suitable for all listeners.
1: Viewer discretion is advised.
0: Hello, and welcome back to Shockingly Wicked, a true crime podcast where we bring you true crime cases from the headlines to the hometowns. I'm Brianna. I'm Meep. You're Meep. Meep, Meep. Meep. No, I'm just kidding. I'm Brittany. And we are your hosts for the evening. Tonight is actually part two of potentially three. We don't know. We'll see as we record this episode. (laughs) You're gonna find out as soon as we do.
1: (laughs) The thing about me is I am a procrastinator. I will never know anything until the time that
0: it's due. That's how I got through most of my academics. (laughs) I literally wrote a paper Like, I started the paper the day it was due and submitted it, and I managed to get an A on it. So, I I flew close to the sun, and I was not scorched, and that ruined the rest of my academic
1: career. (laughs) Uh, Since I've already got my degree and they can't take it back, uh, I paid for all of my English papers. All of them? Because I know you mentioned one in in one of our episodes. I paid for all of them. Wow. Brittany. <laughs> Write my essay Done You can't take my degree back. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's
0: something somebody could probably do, but... I'm not giving the paper back. <laughs> well, the more you know. As we were saying, this might be part two of three. We're going to try to condense it into two episodes, but... Don't hold it against us if we don't. Our last episode, we talked about the Superbike murders. We didn't really mention who it was until the very end, but that's for a reason. That's because he didn't actually confess to the murders until, what was it, like 13 years later? Yep, 13 years. O-
1: almost 13 years.
0: Yeah, so suspense. But we don't have any extra shout-outs to do today, so we're just gonna jump right in. Thank you guys so much for listening anyway. But, yeah, Britt, you're gonna... You're going to go ahead and
1: do the, do the thing. <laughs> I'm doing the thing. So, born on March 7th in 1971 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida.
0: Of course he's God. a Florida man. He's also a Pisces.
1: <laughs> what do you got against Pisces? I, I actually don't really have any beef with Pisces. I got okay. a lot of beefs with Gemini's. I mean, I
0: feel like everybody has a beef with at least one Gemini in their life. But I'm a
1: Sagittarius,
0: so I am (laughs) biased. Your girl's a Leo, so... Fire signs! My birthday's in three days, guys.
1: (laughs) Happy birthday to you! Thanks! Anyway. Todd Kohlhepp did not bless the world. (laughs) Just throwing that out there right away. Well, usually when babies come, they're blessed, but... I don't think he was a blessing. I mean, that's yeah. just my personal opinion. He was born to Reggie. I'm going to slaughter her last name, and I apologize, but it's Tadri or Tagri. Tadri or Tagri. And William Samsel. I don't know where Kohep came from. He took a step out his name, I think. Okay. Mystery solved. please don't quote me on any of this so from the start todd claims that he had a troubled childhood uh but as we will find out he is a compulsive liar
0: oh fun so another hh holmes situation Mm -hmm.
1: he was raised in south carolina and georgia and his parents divorced when he was two years old and his mother got full custody of him which i think usually happens
0: yeah that's the preferred method i guess is to keep him with the mother unless the mother is unfit
1: At 8 years old, he was committed to the Behavior Evaluation Center at Georgia Mental Health Institution for his behavior and his treatment towards other children. That's not reassuring. (laughs) It's already off to a bad start. He was super aggressive, and other children would go on to describe him as a bully. So he spent three and a half months there as an inpatient. Okay, so apparently he killed a goldfish with Clorox, but... The explanation to it kind of makes sense, like, because it would have been of a six, seven-year-old, but he explained it as he was trying to clean the tank quickly, like, because it was part of his chores, so he could go back outside and play. So he poured the bleach into the tank with the fish still in it, and I don't think he realized that the bleach would kill it. I mean, that's valid at the same time. I know! In hindsight, but as, like, a...
0: <laughs> okay, well... To be fair, goldfish are really easy to kill. So. I was about to
1: say, but also you gotta think, well, who's letting a six-year-old, seven-year-old handle bleach? But!
0: Wait, was this like a class pet, or was it like a family It
1: thing? was like at his house.
0: Okay. Yeah, in that case. <laughs>
1: I think, I think it was just like part of his chores. Like, I think it was his goldfish, but and it was his responsibility to clean the tank, but, I, <laughs> but he didn't take the fish out. It's not funny. It's actually terrible, <laughs> R.I.P. Goldfish. R.I.P. Goldie. He also once shot a dog with a BB gun before that, and that was explained, but I didn't write down the explanation. So that was assuming. explained
0: because he's a sociopath.
1: Anyway. So his mother would go on to describe Todd as hard to control and manage even before he was a teenager, which, I mean, he was put in the mental health place. Yeah. So in this documentary I watched, and it's it's like a... I think there's six parts to it, but it's really good. It's on Amazon Prime Video, and it's called The Devil Unchained, the Todd Colhub story. It's really good. I'll have Um, to go watch that. But he said in the documentary that his mother and himself would spend a lot of time with an abusive grandfather, which I think was the mom's dad. Mm -hmm. But he would walk by and shock me and my mother with a cow prong randomly. That was a quote from Todd. (laughs) What? I don't know.
0: Why are these men garbage? I mean, I guess oh. it takes one to know one, but.
1: <laughs> Do you have something you want to in the glass? No. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, in
0: 1985,
1: stop, you're making me laugh. In 1985, he would move to Tempe, Arizona, and he moved in with his dad. Because his dad lived in Arizona, if you didn't catch that. Todd states that his dad was never around and was always with different girlfriends. But his father states that he was the complete opposite and he was always home. So I I don't don't know. One
0: of them is lying. One of these things is not like the other. So
1: he told his mother that he wanted to return to live with her. But she kept making excuses for him to stay with his father because she was like, I don't want you here. (laughs) I've. Part of
0: me feels bad, but that's understandable considering his behavioral issues.
1: Okay, so the 1987 Kidnapping and Rape. Oh, fun. On November 25th in 1986, Todd was 15 years old. Just remember his age. And was left home that night by his father. His father said he was at work that night, like closing. I think they had like a diner or he worked at a diner. And so he's closing up. Yeah. But I mean, you gotta work. The girl that... The assault happened to, I know her name and it, they state her name because she talks in the documentary that I watched, but that was her first time coming forward with this information, so I'm not going to state her name. If you guys really want to find out, you're more than welcome to Google, but just to your no know, respect her. His neighbor, who lived in the same cul-de-sac as him, they always hung out with each other, or not always, but like they often hung out with each other. Todd said that they both had crushes on each other, but... I don't know. Sounds fake, Todd. Sounds fake! Okay, so investigators would later find a journal that belonged to him, and it showed that he had been making detailed journal entries about her. <laughs> Like, he had reportedly had been stalking her for six to eight months before this all even happened. So, the night of the attack, the neighbor was home. Her parents had gone out and left her in charge of her five-year-old brother and three-year-old sister. She was doing homework. um, You know, being a good little kid. Being a teenager. So, the doorbell rings, and it's like nine o'clock at night. And when she opened the door, she saw Todd. He was like, you gotta come out. You gotta come outside. There's a boy outside. It was some boy that she had really liked, but he was like, he's outside, he really wants to talk to you, like, come outside and you know she responded because she's a responsible 15 year old and said she couldn't come outside her parents weren't home and she was watching her siblings Mm -hmm. so you know she's like sorry and then shut the door but at this point like her siblings were in the bed already so she was the only one that was up but he was being a little persistent and like he kept knocking and ringing the doorbell and he even went so far as to go to her back door and knocked on it and was like hey come outside like, you really have to come outside. Like, he was very persistent. That would send up red flags in and of itself. I know, but she's like 15 and it's the very 80s. Nice. At this point, he is multiple times ring on her doorbell, he continues to knock, has gone to the back door to get her to come outside. So she finally agrees to come outside for a minute she's like if i come outside will you leave me alone and he's like yes so as soon as she steps outside and closes the door he holds a gun to her head and instructs her to follow him so like i think the houses that they lived in backed up to each other so they go like he takes her through a back alleyway so like people on the street don't see her she says that she's barefoot so she's walking through this alleyway and she's barefoot and she turns around and she's like just kill me or something and so he pulls the trigger but When he pulls the trigger, like, it's aimed at her head, the trigger jams. So, like, (laughs) woo, Wow. He had every intention to kill her, and I just want to point that out. But pushes her, and he's like, follow me. And so they go to his house, and once they get there, he forces her inside the house and into his bedroom. Trigger warning, I'm about to talk about sexual assault. So he made her undress, and that's when he tied her up and put duct tape over her mouth. And this entire time he's doing this and then she's undressing, he was holding her at this point, at knife point. So he then proceeds to rape her. So while all of this was going on, back at her house, her brother had woken up and he got scared. He couldn't find her. So he called 911 and then he called his parents, Yeah, which that's a very smart five-year-old. I would not have done that. So... When they get the call, cops are obviously rushing past, rush past Todd's house, because I think her her house is at the end of the cul-de-sac. So they rush past his house and towards her house, and this is freaking Todd out. And she says, you know, like, he stops, and he starts pacing, and he's, like, freaking out. She says to the lady that's interviewing her that she, I think he was debating on whether to kill me or not. But, you know, she's begging him to let her go. And then, you know, finally he agrees. But he tells her, he was like, if you tell anyone what happened, I'm gonna kill you and then I'm gonna kill your family. He finally lets her go, like unties her, lets her go. She gets stressed and then she runs back to her house. So as soon as she goes in, her parents are in the kitchen and the police are in there and at first, she tells her parents and the police that she was helping Todd look for a dog, because that's the story he told her to tell them. Um, but her dad, he's like, did something happen? Like, you look, like, I'm assuming she looks like a mess, because of what she just went through. And she finally breaks down, and she tells her dad what really happened. She's like, he raped me. Or she says she couldn't even say what happened, but, like, he knew. Yeah. So the police immediately go over to his house and they arrest him for kidnapping, sexual assault, and committing a dangerous crime against a child. He is 15 years old.
0: Just from the get-go, he was already showing the signs. Just the fact that it already manifested at 15 into such a violent crime.
1: Yeah, I know. So in 87, he pled guilty to kidnapping... But part of the deal of him pleading guilty to kidnapping was that they would drop all other charges. So once he pled guilty, he dro- they dropped the charges. And I think because the sentence for kidnapping was higher than the other two. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. Because
0: I was like, why would they drop the other charges if it was...
1: And you gotta think, this is his first real offense. Yeah, but it's still a very serious one. Yeah, but I think kidnapping's a felony. So he was already getting charged with a felony, but he was sentenced to 15 years in prison and had to register as a sex offender. Good, as he should. But according to court records, he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and he had an IQ of 118. I don't know. I guess that's high. I don't know anything about IQ tests. (laughs) What's the standard IQ test?
0: The average IQ in the United States is 98. That's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah higher than the average just to put that in perspective the average iq of hong kong is 108 so americans are not very smart just it doesn't sound like he has borderline to me it sounds like he's a narcissist and i from what i know is that those are often misdiagnosed because they have a lot of overlap anyway so continue
1: this is also in the 80s. So. I know. I'm just like. I agree, though. He does. He had it. And you'll be able to see it, I think, going like as we talk further into it. But he does have a lot of narcissistic uh, personality traits. So he was released from prison in 2001 after serving 14 years. Because I think he was arrested in 86 and he got sentenced in 87. So I think mm-hmm. that's a big year. They like counted that year as part of his sentence. Yeah. So, but while he was in prison, he graduated from Central Arizona College with a bachelor's degree in computer science, and after he was released from prison, he moved to Spartanburg, South Carolina, where his mother was located. So, in 2003, he started attending Greenville Technical College, and then he transferred to USC Upstate. So, he graduated in 2008 with a bachelor of science degree in business admin and marketing, but while he was in college, he... Took the test or the exam to become a real estate agent, and then after he graduated, he opened up TKA Real Estate and ran it out of his home in Moore, South Carolina, which is a part of Spartanburg County. So he was a realtor. Interesting. Yeah. That was probably, well, he probably did that because do you have to tell clients if you're a sex offender?
0: That's a good question. I would assume you have to. That's something you have to disclose, but I. I don't know, actually, because I mean, you're obviously you're going to be on the sex offender registry, but I guess if you have to go out of your way to look for that,
1: you probably don't have to tell them unless they have a child with them.
0: Well, I think when you usually like move into a place,
1: you have to like you register. have to
0: tell your yeah, and you have to tell your neighbors or something like
1: that. Um, you. You have to, like, when you move, you have to register your new address, but you don't have to tell the neighbors, but you have to, you know, go and check in every so many months. Okay. I well, know, I worked at an apartment complex. The, the more you know. So he ran this out of his house in Moore, South Carolina, but prior to this, he worked as a graphic designer. mm Mm-hmm. And then in May of 2014, he purchased a 95-acre tract in Woodruff, South Carolina. In 2016, Kayla Brown was a 30-year-old employee at a dialysis department in Anderson, South Carolina. She also leaned part-time for a real estate agent in Spartan South Carolina, which I think is totally different than Todd. Charlie Carver was her boyfriend. He was recently divorced uh, to a woman named Nicole and he had recently started dating Kayla at the time the two of them went missing. So they were reported missing on August 31st in 2016. The last time Charlie was seen before he went missing was on video as he was leaving work for the day. This part of kind gets weird. His ex-wife She was reportedly struggling with the recent separation between the two and Mm -hmm. had recently shown up uninvited to Charlie's apartment uh, before him and Kayla had went missing. Yeah. So after Kayla and Charlie were reported missing on August thirty first, 2016, the same day that they were, Nicole would post, My beloved husband, rest in peace, as her Facebook status. What? <laughs> <No>. What? <laughs> but other than the status, investigators really had no—not really. They actually they had no evidence that indicated Nicole was involved in either disappearance. Mm-hmm.
0: It's
1: just a little weird. So after this, at t would later go on to get a call from an investigator requesting information about Charlie and Kayla's last known cell phone pings, which
2: mm-hmm. would be fine,
1: except. This employee had already spoken to investigators about the same thing. Nicole Nunez was then arrested for impersonating an officer, so she had called at and and impersonated the investigator, asking for information.
0: It's not looking too good for you, Mister Lady. She actually has nothing to do with this plot twist. I know, but still, that's that's sketchy.
1: <laughs> on November 3rd, in 2016, Kayla Brown was found. She was found inside a shipping container on a property... And Woodruff, I happen to be ninety-five acres.
0: It's a lot of land.
1: And belong to one Todd Cohill. Dun dun dun! Oh, hold on.
0: It's very loud. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> Do you know where your buddy is? Investigators asked Kayla.
0: And we'll get right to that after a quick word about our sponsors.
1: They were obviously talking about Charlie, but she says, Charlie? He shot him. Todd. Todd Colehoek shot Charlie Carver in the chest three times, and then he wrapped him in a blue tarp, put him in the bucket of the tractor, and locked me down here. I've never seen him again.
0: If I remember right, there's a video, like a, a body cam video. I remember seeing something when they first found her in the shipping container, and I remember her saying that um that he shot him. Okay,
1: so... This is a direct quote from the current sheriff of Spartanburg County, uh, Chuck Wright. It was pretty emotional stuff, to say the least, when she was found, uh, especially when she was chained like a dog. Yeah, she was chained like a dog. So Kayla said she knew Todd from Facebook, so they were already Facebook friends. Yeah. Um, but he had contacted her after she posted looking for work. So I, I don't want to say they were hurting for money, but I, I think they needed it, like, needed, they could use the extra money. So shortly after they arrived, Todd was showing them around and then he almost immediately killed Charlie and then took Jeez. took Kayla as prisoner and he did all of this in front of Kayla. This poor girl. So after they find her, they found Charlie's body buried in a shallow grave on his property and discovered that he had recently dug a grave meant for Kayla. So he was planning on killing Kayla and she had been down there for like th- two, two months like 62 days I think. they found her just in time then I guess so once they get Todd and they like surprise attack him they're like do you know what we're on your property and he's like no and they were like we responded to some cell phone pings cause their last known cell phone pings was Todd's woodruff property Yeah, and he's like what no way <laughs>
0: Literally to play dumb,
1: <laughs> and he's like, got a boxer like his dog, and he's like, Who's my dog." <laughs> like it's it's not funny, but it's like, okay, yeah. And so I know from like the documentary, and you guys really have to watch it. Like it's such a good documentary. Um, Kayla said that he would come down every day, basically rape her. She would allow it because she's chained. I mean. What else are you supposed to do? He would feed her, and then he would leave, and he would do this, like, every day. But he would also, like... And it comes back when, like, they interview Todd. He would let her write letters, but, I mean, like, at the same time, you have her locked in a shipping container. And it's hot in South Carolina. It's in late August. It does not cool down until November. So, I know she's burning up. But, like, what else is she supposed to do? And apparently, like, he says... They, they haven't released her letters, and I don't think they should, because yeah. that's unfair. Because you have to think she's held captive for this mm-hmm. amount of time. she probably thinks she's going to die. Yeah. He states that in these letters she's confessing her love to him. But she's probably, yeah. like, using that as a, an escape tactic, as a way to deal with being locked up. If it actually happened. But he would go on to say that the sex they had was consensual, but... Of course he would. Unless... If somebody is locked up, and unless it is not any disrespect to the bondage community and people who practice bondage, but unless it is something like that, it is not consensual. Yep. So Kayla was found with chains around her wrist, ankles, and then one huge chain around her neck with a padlock, and these were all chained to the wall of the shipping container. So she was only able to go so far. Oh, so she had been chained up and locked in that shipping container for 64 days. So once they begin searching the property further, they find two more bodies, and these were later identified as Johnny Coxey. he was 29 years old, and Megan Coxey, his wife, who was 25 years old. So essentially the same thing kind of happened to them. The couple was reported missing on December 19th, 2015, after responding to an online ad looking for someone to help clean the property. As soon as they arrived, Todd killed Johnny almost immediately. And then he held Megan captive for five days before ultimately killing her. So Kayla was held a little bit longer. Well, a lot longer. But the autopsy reports showed that Megan died from a shot to the head. And then Johnny died from a shot to the torso. So I think he, depending on where he shot him in the torso, he wanted Johnny to suffer. Yeah. And Megan, when she died, was almost immediately. And from the... The documentary, you learn a lot more. But it's like when they went missing, because I, I didn't look into them because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to me because they're still victims. But they yeah. had been arrested before, so and I think they were like drug users. Their family says that the police didn't take their the disappearance seriously. Yeah, but they, you know, obviously decomposed because it was almost a year from when they went missing. But they were identified through dental records and tattoos.
0: Well. I guess tattoos are good if you go missing.
1: You have uh, three; you can identify me, guys. I
0: didn't know that, so I would not be able to identify you.
1: Your husband could, though. (laughs) He has no tattoos, so.
0: Okay, well, R.I.P. Chris.
1: (laughs) We'll never know what happened to you. (laughs) But during an interview with Dr. Phil, Kayla told Dr. Phil um, that Todd was like infatuated with her; like he didn't want to kill her because. Like, it was almost like he was, I don't want to say in love, but he was, like, in lust with her. Like, he didn't want to kill her because he wanted to use her for other things. So, once he was in custody, Todd confessed to killing Johnny and Megan Coxie. And this is weird, but Charlie and Johnny's bodies were found with their feet removed. Mm -hmm. And their feet have never been recovered. Do they
0: have any theories of like, do they think he ate them or something? Or kept them as trophies?
1: Not that I could find, and he never gave an explanation to it, so they had no feet. I, I mean, my,
0: my guess would probably be he kept them as trophies somewhere, but
1: that's weird. Well, while he's in custody, like, they're talking to him about these bodies, and he goes, Hey. And they're like, hey. He's mm-hmm. like, I killed four people in a bike shop in Chesney, South Carolina, back in 03 what? And they're like, what? He's like, yeah.
0: Did anything prompt him to confess to this or did he just randomly? He
1: randomly confessed to it. And as soon as they say Chesney and bike shop in the same sentence, they're like, oh shit, this is super bike. Yeah. So Todd goes on and he tells investigators that he had bought. A Suzuki motorcycle from Superbike Motorsports sometime in 2003. They go back and look at the records, and he is a customer from there. So he was a customer, and he did buy a Suzuki GSX R750 uh, for $9,000 on April 16th, 2003. So don't tell me. May, June, July, I guess September, October. So seven months before. <laughs> So he goes, he goes on and says, I had it for 14 days and, and then it got stolen in front of my apartment complex, which was true during that time. And they went back and looked. He was living at the Hunt Club apartments. I think they're in the middle of like Spartanburg, but they're a different name now. So reportedly before the bike was stolen, he returned back to the shop and told them that he was having trouble riding it. It. Was I think he said it was like too big, like he mm-hmm. just wasn't used to it because it was his first bike. Yeah. Um, and he told them them he wanted to trade it for something smaller, like a smaller bike, something that would be easier to ride. So he tells uh, the police that the shop employees were rude to him and made fun of his inability to ride a bike. I wasn't there in two thousand and three; I was only four. Um, yeah. But from after talking to Melissa and reading up about Scott and Brian. It doesn't sound like... I was going to say, I don't think they would have made fun of him. And if they did, they're not going to do it to his face. This is their business.
0: You know what, though? He probably was paranoid. And so he That's heard them... True. He probably heard them laughing about something else and assumed that they were laughing at him.
1: That's what I was thinking. He says they're making fun of him. And they made fun of his inability to ride a bike. Called him less of a man. Da-da-da-da-da. Todd never sees the stolen bike again, and then, I'm assuming he gets insurance money, because I think you get money from when your car's stolen if you have it covered. He goes on and starts looking for another motorcycle, Mm -hmm. and then he returns back to the same shop. Once again, they were trash-talking him, (laughs) talking about the fact that they would have another one ready to pick up after this one got stolen. So, Todd tells investigators, I got mad about it, and then I just kept going out there. And I'm like, clearly, because you've been there like five times already. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, at this point, it's like an obsession. To me, at first, it sounds like he was trying to prove himself by buying a big bike. And then once he realized he couldn't ride that bike, because it's not that he's less of a man for it. It's if it's his first motorcycle. Yeah. You're not going to be able to ride an extremely large one. It's like a horse. You start on the small one and work your way up. I don't know. how I did it. So, he then goes on to tell his investigators about the day the shootings panned out, which – so, he had left class at Greenville Technical College, and he drove to a CVS in Bullen Springs. So, this is about a 45-minute drive from Greenville Tech. So, the CVS of Bullen Springs is at the beginning of Paris Bridge Road. So, it's about, like, a I would say about a 17-minute drive. But at Bowman Springs is a town, it's right beside Chesney. So he then parked the car, proceeded to put on a shoulder holster with a 9mm handgun, which, mm-hmm. by the way, if you have a shoulder holster, you're a douchebag, automatically.
3: <laughs> They're wow. so stupid!
0: Britt's got some opinions about it.
3: <laughs> Just get
1: a holster for your belt, like every normal human being, and move on about the day. <laughs> god so he drives all the way to the bike shop and he stalled by looking around at a few bikes waiting for brian and scott because if you remember brian wasn't supposed to be in that day yeah scott and chris sherbert were there by themselves so he's waiting for both of them to be in the shop because that's the two he had the most beef with i guess yeah and he didn't want any customers in there direct quote i'm not even kidding collateral damage is not cool but murdering in general That's is what fine. i said <laughs> what it's a weird
0: time to have morals so
1: he's looking around finds a bike he gets on it see how he likes you know he's sitting on it so he finally tells scott which bike he wants to buy he's like i want this one and scott's like great chris come take it to the back so chris took it back to the shop to prep it to be sold so Todd said he waited like a few minutes while Scott was getting paperwork together. I don't know what Brian was doing. So while they're doing that, Todd walks to the back of the shop where Chris was and he shot him. He went back out to the front, shot Beverly two or three times. This is another direct quote from Todd. I don't like Todd Cole He said, I was not meaning to hit the mom. I prefer not to shoot women if I can. She got thrown into it. She wasn't the primary target. But then he goes on to kill Megan Coxie and has dug a grave for Kayla. So shut up. Yeah,
0: I was just about to say, like, boy, (laughs) don't be lying.
1: So, he then continues to shoot Scott and then Brian as they're running towards the front door. Before leaving, he returns back inside and shoots each victim once more in the head and in the chest. Listen. So, the entire time he's talking about this to the investigators, his tone is so conversational. And he's bragging about it to the police. about That's how not surprising. He so, he says, literally, this is what pisses me off the most. I cleared that building in under 30 seconds. You guys would have been proud. Direct quote. Bro. Bro. It's not a video game. He then drives all the way back to the Hunt Club apartments. He takes the 9mm, takes it apart, and then separates pieces of it into trash bags and kitty litter. And then he tosses the bag into the dumpsters at his apartment complex. And then... Usually, the dumpsters are emptied, um, like, every day, like, a certain day of every week. So, he tells all this. They're like, okay. Apparently, at that time, it had not been released to the public that the victims had been shot in their head.
2: Like, mm-hmm. he had went
1: back and shot them in the head. So, that's how they knew he was telling the story. And then, like, he also told them about what kind of bullets he used. Yeah. So, so they were... So he knew details
0: that whoever, like, was involved would have known, but otherwise not. Yeah. Now keep in mind, this was 13 years after the Superbike murders. So we asked Melissa when we interviewed her what it was like when she finally found out somebody had confessed to the murders.
1: Do you remember when you got the call that they had somebody who confessed to the murder? Um, Do you remember how that kind of
3: went down? Yeah, I do. Um, I was actually at the movies with my husband, mm-hmm. Chad. Um, we were walking out and I got a phone call from one of the detectives who I had formed a good a good relationship with. He um, had actually come in to the picture much later, mm-hmm. you know, in this, he had been brought in to be new eyes on this, you know, this whole case. And mm-hmm. so um, he had reached out and was very apologetic for what I'd been put through and, you know, just, he was a really, really nice person. And um, he called me and it was literally the day before the 13 year anniversary. And he said, you know, just want you to know we've been thinking about you guys and I know so much time has passed. And he's like, can you do me a favor and be available in about an hour to take a phone call? Um, Cause I'd like to call you back and just talk to you about, you know, some stuff and, that's really bizarre, but okay. Um, So we went home. I called Lorraine Lucas, uh, Brian Lucas's mom and said, are you getting the same phone call? I am. And she said, yes, there's something big going down. I really don't know. I said, okay. Um, I said, I think I'm going to record this phone conversation because of how I had been burned in the past. And I just felt like, you know, so my husband, um who is currently a lieutenant with the sheriff's department here in Maricopa County. Yeah. Um, and also he has been a homicide detective, a sex crimes detective, but he's done all of it. And so I just said I think we should, you know, record this and he agreed. I mean, he's you know, seen it from both sides. Absolutely. Um, so we did. We recorded the phone conversation and when um Anthony called me back, um he said you know, I, I want to say the word something like we got him and I didn't have any idea what he was talking about. Yeah. But I'm like, we get got who, you know, I mean, because 13 years you you're just not expecting it. And he yeah. said, you know, that have you have you been watching the news? There's a girl out here that was found alive and um you know, ironically, I had been paying attention to it. I had been seeing, I'd seen it on the Today Show. I had seen that, you know, there was a girl that they had found alive and Kayla. And um, I just said, it's just crazy that that's in the same area, you know, that I lived and that Scott was killed. And so, yeah, I was paying close attention to it because I knew so many of the the people involved, the, the law enforcement officers that they kept showing. And um, he said, well, he said, we you know, you probably saw, we, we found her alive yesterday or the day before. And I said, I did see that, which I'm grateful. And he said, well, he said the guy that had held her captive, um, told her while he had her that he had killed four people at a motorcycle dealership over a decade ago, and they still hadn't caught him. And so, you know, when they told me that I, I got emotional, Yeah, I said, this is the same guy. He said, Yeah and I you know as I was watching it I never would have put
1: two and two together
3: two together no way it was just such a different um no it it didn't
1: yeah
3: so not even for a minute did I think it was the same person yeah Um,
1: and you actually met you actually got to face Todd
3: I did yes Um, twice actually I mean to uh, the first time it is sentencing, but I wasn't face-to-face with him mm-hmm. because that happened so quickly. Um, it, he was sentenced within like six months. And so, mm-hmm. because he pled guilty and all of us, all of the families of the victims um, collectively signed paperwork that we would not um, proceed with the death penalty, which it was a, a very easy death penalty case actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but we knew as families that had we gone that route, that um, it would take years and years and years and lots of courts and, you know, how it's like, it's an average of 18 years. Yeah, so, and it would
1: have kind of, it would have absolutely drug out the trauma that you guys have endured for oh, 13 years already.
3: It didn't even appeal to any of us. As much as we, you know, felt like, I mean, yeah, this is an easily a death penalty case. Um, oh, let me... <laughs> <laughs> um I I said, "Oh, and you know what? I could probably make this bigger. Too sorry about that." No, you're <laughs> fine. <laughs> um whoops. Um anyway, I, I I mean, I just felt like, you know, talking to the families, this is just the better way to go. We can be done with this yeah. in 6 months, you know, and so when they presented it to us, we all felt pretty strongly that that was the the right way to right way to go, but we still had a a wrongful death and damages Mm -hmm. um, lawsuit that we went ahead and filed because we did know that there would be property and um, things that he had. And it wasn't really about getting all this money from him. It was more him not being able to dictate what he could do with the money that was more what that was about. It wasn't, I, you know, I've always maintained that if I got $5 in this whole thing, I would go to McDonald's and get a Coca-Cola because they're the best and (laughs) call it it a win, you know, and say, look, we got, um, and so we did, we had the damages hearing and that was two years later, Mm um, which I, had a lot more time to go through knew, knowing I was going to face him and actually be in front of him this time. And I could look at him and he could look at me. I I prepared myself a little more for that than I did just sentencing where I could read a quick statement and that, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. non-personal this, I knew I would be setting up in front of him that he would have to look at me and I would have to look at him. And I, I wanted it to, um, I just wanted it to mean more and I wanted it. And, you know, so I started pouring through some of the, um, psychological evaluations that he had gone through. I started learning a little bit more about him, Mm -hmm. um, from, from a different perspective, not as like the victim's wife, but more as, you know, just, a a human Mm -hmm. just wanting to know, like, why was he like this what happened to him that caused so much grief and sadness and heartache and i i wanted it what i said to him to come more from that than Mm -hmm. i'm so mad and i hate you and i hope you rot in hell I, i just i wasn't there anymore you know and so um you know and after reading some of the things he had gone through as a um as a kid and i felt like just he was a discarded little boy yeah who never never really felt like unconditional love from anybody Mm -hmm. nobody ever just loved him because he was their kid or because i mean it it sounds like his childhood was pretty rough Mm
1: -hmm.
3: um which led to i mean i'm sure as you know something horrific as a teenager Mm -hmm. um here in arizona um you know which i want to say with him getting out of prison here in arizona I think Scott was killed within two years of that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I just, I started looking at all of that and I, I knew at that time, I knew I was going to tell him I forgave him. I knew I was, I mean, because that's where I was. And, um, and I never regretted that it's actually given me a whole different freedom than I had before. And so when I did sit in front of him, I was able to tell him that, that I felt Sad for the way he grew up. I didn't grow up like that. I had parents that loved me and supported me, and and followed every dream I had. And and you know, so like looking at him, I was more sad than I was anything. I just, it could have all been so different had somebody just given him the love he needed. Yeah, and maybe not. I mean, some people are, you know, yeah. they have some crazy uh, mental issues in them, but you know, I just. I still feel that way I know he's a very narcissistic individual even to this day I've Mm -hmm. heard some of his podcast I've heard some of the interviews he's done even from jail and Mm -hmm. but truly like for me I see that as just a really insecure man that just never got what he needed
0: do you think that your response to him would have been different had he been caught sooner because you said that you weren't in that place of anger anymore so do you think that if it had been sooner that maybe your response would have
3: been any different? Totally. I had had a lot of time. Well, at first, had it been any sooner, I wouldn't have had access to all the, um, the information from the crime and the, you know, from, we were given all of the, um, all of the evidence and all, you know, so my husband had poured through some of that. I didn't, I didn't really want to hear, but the psychological evaluations and some of like the arrest, Mm -hmm. um, details and stuff. I did want to read through some of that and see what some of that was, but, you know, I think because I had time to go through that and look at that stuff and see it, but had it happened any sooner, even, even within the couple of years, I'm not sure I would have had the time because I know Charlie Carver's family, they weren't there, you know, two summers ago, which I totally get I mean they're still reeling from losing Charlie in such a horrific manner I know that you know Kayla Brown wasn't at a good place when she faced him and her damages hearing and you know I I don't know I mean I just think it's the amount of the amount of time I've had that definitely makes the difference
1: so on May 26 2017 um that was also my graduation date so I graduated high school that day literally that day that year <laughs> Wow. Todd Cole pled guilty to seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping and one count of criminal sexual assault. So he didn't, they didn't even do trial. He just like said he was going to plead guilty and that was that. Well, good. He was sentenced to seven consecutive life sentence without the possibility of parole. And then he only, the only reason he pled guilty was because they said if he pled guilty, they would take the death penalty off the table, which to be honest, he probably would have even made it to his, execution date because most of the time they don't right unless they're like terrible 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 people like ted bundy
0: yeah well and the whole thing with the death penalty too is that you have so many appeals right yeah you you have this whole long process of appeals so more than likely they're not even going to get to this point before I don't know. More more often than not because of all of the appeals that people can do or other ways that they can delay the process. They might be really really old by the time they actually like I don't know, by the time that they actually get to that point. But that's at the, yeah, like at the same time I guess it it also I guess it depends. <laughs> like if if somebody doesn't I I think it depends on the state because some states do death penalty, like do actual executions more often than other ones do.
1: I don't know how. I think it is South, in South Carolina, Carolina. Carolina does. I think yeah. South Carolina is. Um, I think they're like one of the ones that try to do it as most often as they can. Yeah. But anyways, that was the story of Todd Kowitz. Wow, this man. And he's in prison somewhere in Columbia, South Carolina. I know the name of it. I'm just not gonna tell you guys you guys can look it up yourselves
0: <laughs> yeah but if you do that don't write him don't give yeah, him don't. attention
1: because from what i was reading he like reaches out and melissa even stated it he's done interviews from prison he reaches out to podcasts he's done a lot of podcasts from prison in the documentary and i'm it's not even an ad i really this documentary is just really good um he has His friends that used to work with, I don't know if they're still friends. I assume they're still friends, but um, Mm -hmm. he's writing a memoir about him. So don't buy it. He absolutely
0: does not deserve that money.
1: <laughs> Instead of buying Todd's memoir, you should buy Melissa's memoir.
0: Yes, Melissa is coming out with a book soon. I'm super excited to She's read it. She's
1: hoping it'll be out this November, but stay tuned. because, But we will definitely keep you updated because I'm going to be first in line to buy that book.
0: <laughs> yes, we will be sure to let you know when that happens. We'll probably post about it on social media just so that you guys can see how life progressed in that time for Melissa, in her own words, and then also everything after that. Mm -hmm. And before that. But in the meantime, here is the rest of our interview with Melissa. It's not the full interview. We will probably release that as an exclusive at some point. But she's going to tell us a little bit about how life has progressed, how she's moved forward since the death of her husband, Scott. And we even got to talk to Scotty a little bit. So here you go.
1: How did you feel once the case was finally closed, once your lawsuit was finally over? How, how did you feel? Did you feel at peace?
3: I do. I I feel peace from being able to tell him, you know, I, I forgive you. I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Um, it still doesn't excuse taking lives. And I I did tell him if I were to take The life of anybody that has pissed me off during my lifetime Mm -hmm. there'd be a lot of dead people yeah (laughs) um that's not that's not how we deal it's not what we do um but you know what yes i feel like i've um i i don't use and i haven't found a lot of people that have lost somebody that use the word closure i i don't it's just not a that's not a i don't think it exists in this type of a situation Yeah, I think it's just it's more a piece Mm -hmm. and knowing that everything's been done that could possibly be done and that's more of what I feel
1: kind of like you haven't moved on you've just found a way to move without move forward
3: yeah yeah I've moved forward um happily, um, finally healthy, you know, just, um, because I mean, I had several, uh, I feel like bad, um, relationships and it's just, you're trying to find, you're just trying to find that person that completed you the way that, you know, you felt previously. And it, that is one of the hardest things to do is like with your heart move on. It's hard.
1: Absolutely. And I, and I, I'm sure you were trying to find who you were like yourself after going through something like that.
3: Right. And you know, it really wasn't until I came to the um, realization that I'm okay alone. Mm -hmm. I can raise my kids because I did get married and divorced and added another child, Mm -hmm. which, you know, fortunately I am good friends with my ex-husband and I mean, it's been fine. And him and my husband now are friends and we all co-parent greatly and it's all, no, it's all worked out great. But it wasn't until I came to this conclusion that I, I'm totally okay. I don't need to have somebody there. It's okay. And, and honestly, when I got to that point in my life, I met Chad, Mm -hmm. which I, again, was not looking for, didn't want it, wasn't even open to it. And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) God say say he is late.
0: <laughs> yeah, they do usually say that once you stop looking, that's that's oh, when they show up
1: for sure. <laughs> and your son's name's Scotty. Um, do yeah. you tell like talk about his dad a lot? Do you keep the memory alive of his father with him? If that makes sense, we do.
3: Um, we do. And in fact, if you guys want to, I can get him if you want. To yeah. Ask <laughs> He, of course he's not gonna want his face. I don't think he's done his face. he's you know he's a teenage boy right now but um that's okay was, are you guys okay with that yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely I will I will go grab him and I'll okay. let you yeah you guys okay. sit back way. hold on okay, okay thank you <laughs> I told him that I might grab him so I am texting him right now like get in here <laughs> yeah no I just don't want to keep you guys oh no, no. Okay.
0: we were going to be recording
3: our episode after
0: this anyway so we, <laughs> okay. we we're going to be sitting here <laughs>
1: I know I told my okay. husband I said the the situation as why we're interviewing her is awful but she's such a, like a you're such an inspiration
3: you just oh, deal with it so sweet. well no that's sweet but again like we're saying I've had some time yeah and I've come you know come a long way I've you know take responsibility for the stupid things I do and I you know I I
1: I just love how you're so you're so positive after what mm-hmm. happened and like I was looking at your blog um
3: your oh, Facebook yeah.
1: page like the blog part mm-hmm. and yes. I love like and I was reading the messages that you posted that when people reach out to you and I think that's so sweet I
3: love it I do I love, I love it that. I mean that
1: just all right here's my <laughs> look, look
3: here's my look alike. <laughs> hello hi Scotty <laughs> We're excited
2: how are you guys doing how are <laughs>
1: you um I'm, I'm i'm Brittany. that's brianna
2: hi I
3: have to tell, can i tell him real quick yeah Brittany was shot two years ago
2: oh wow like a
3: gang like a gang initiation they just decided to follow her car home and shot five shots into her car and got her in the back and punctured one of her lungs Is that not crazy?
2: That wow how do you healed okay? I
3: know that was
1: my my lung collapsed for like four days and then the worst part was the chest
3: tube. (laughs) So are you able to recover fully from
1: that? Um so I so the bullet's still in me. Um I can't like ride roller coasters. Um it's obvious like if I was in a car wreck, um there's um it's her dogs. There's scared that it would move um, the bullet. But other than that, everything's pretty normal. The bullet's still there? hmm And it, it was so close to my heart. It was like this close. Um, But they couldn't take it out because open heart surgery was a lot more risky than just leaving it in there. So they just left it in there.
3: And they said it should be fine?
1: Yeah. Um, I do have to go like every six months for a checkup just to make sure it hasn't like moved or anything. But other than that. I'm still living normally.
3: Okay, good.
1: I just, I don't know. I use humor as a way to deal with me the too. trauma. So I joke about it. And
3: my husband's like,
1: we oh. get it. We get it. You got shot. Uh,
3: I was telling him, that's why I like podcasts so much, to be honest. If anybody ever asked me to do it, I'm like, oh yeah, I love podcasts. Yeah. Because the conversation is so much more open. It's not so structured. Like if you have a news camera in front of your face and they're asking you all these formal questions, It's I... I'll do them, but this this yeah. is much better for me. Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah. Scotty, you were in a couple of interview news interviews, weren't you?
2: Yeah, like well, two you've years. Done a, you've uh, done a lot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I done a lot. <laughs> I can't um, remember when one was though.
3: Probably uh, two years ago when we did the one in Spartanburg. Oh okay. At yeah. the damages Herring. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Was it was it weird? Was it like a weird experience, or are you so used to it?
2: I feel like I'm used to it. Like if I had to do one right now, it'd probably be a little weird. But if I just do them all together, then it's not weird.
1: Yeah. And you just got back from visiting um South Carolina, right?
2: Yeah, I got back like two and a half weeks ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you like it there?
2: Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think I'm going back in like a month.
1: You're going back in a month before school starts.
2: Well, actually.
3: It'll be after school stuff.
2: (laughs) Our school schedule is so weird. Um, Each break we have during the school year, Mm -hmm. we get a week longer than usual. So then we have shorter summers. I don't really like it. He hates
3: it. I love it. It's a modified year-round schedule. Yeah. So we get like seven weeks in the summer and then two weeks in October, December, and March. Okay. That's pretty. For vacation purposes, I like it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You guys go on a lot of vacations?
3: Yeah, we try.
1: Can I ask you a few hard questions, Scotty?
2: Yeah.
1: Um. Okay, so did you, you got to meet Todd, right? Yeah. Or come one, face-to-face with him.
2: Yeah, it was one time during, I don't know, it was some, I don't know it what was it was specifically. Area. But yeah, it, it was like a court.
3: It was uh, the, yeah, the wrongful death.
2: How,
1: how old were you then?
2: Thirteen. Uh, Really?
3: <laughs>
2: oh, I thought that was longer. No, okay. Oh wait, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was. No, I wasn't sixteen. I was fifteen.
1: Was, was it? 15. Was it like a weird situation?
2: Uh, kinda. I mean, it was. I mean, it was. I was a little bit nervous before it happened, but then when we got in there, it was. It was fun.
1: Yeah.
2: I was. Yeah, I was a little nervous, but and then I had to give a statement. I was a little nervous, like, building up to that. But then once I got up there, it was fine.
1: Mm-hmm. You were know, like, I'm a pro at this. I'm pro <laughs> at public speaking. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. And Melissa, you actually made him a scrapbook, right? I did. Okay. I was like, wait, I don't know if that's creepy to ask. No, not at all. No, you can If, if it's out there, I was like, yeah, oh, I don't care. Do you, um, yeah. do you look at the scrapbook often or before? Did you look at, read it? Look at it often.
2: Uh, <laughs> I don't know how
3: to form this question. I don't know that you have looked at it for a long time. You probably forgot I even have it. It's right here behind you. Yeah, <laughs>
2: but... I, I, know, I know what it looks like. I, I've been there before. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah,
3: it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did just have a picture. I had a professional draw a picture of Scott and Scotty mm-hmm. together. That I because I don't have any pictures of them. Yeah. yeah. I did give that to him for his birthday last year oh that's, that's so that's nice. sweet yeah. yeah it was mm. do you
1: <laughs> do you feel like you have like I know you never met him but do you feel like you have like a personal connection to your dad
2: um
1: or some kind of connection maybe not personal
2: I guess I, well yeah I feel like it's more like I could feel it more when I'm actually like in South Carolina like obviously yeah. I can feel it easier, but like I feel like when I'm surrounded by people that knew him it makes it easier
1: yeah because it's kind of like a situation you were kind of born into like it's kind of been a part of your entire life almost yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah exactly
3: yeah his um his whole take in this is it comes from a completely different emotional yeah case where anything type of a relationship or anything he has with them is just from what he's been taught or heard or read. You know, which, I mean, it's all good and it's all, but yeah, it's definitely a different different take on all of it. Todd is...
0: Yeah, he definitely doesn't have borderline.
1: <laughs> I think he is, an, I think and other people have said that too, but I think he is a narcissistic, and he's a um, compulsive liar. Like, it's been yeah. stated, I don't know if he's diagnosed with it, but it's been stated. It, like, in a lot of articles I read, it was, he's a chronic liar, guys. And I was yeah. like, period. <laughs> period.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, that's not surprising, because narcissists are gonna say whatever they can and whatever they need to to get what they want but yeah he's definitely he's not
1: borderline there's no way no and for i don't know for him to just admit that he like they're getting him on three murders and one kidnap already and now he's he's admitting four more four more murders so that's seven murders and it's like it's like wh- why like i i'm glad he did to like give the family at the superbike murders closure yeah. because they definitely deserve that after 13 years but like at the mm-hmm. same time you're already like you were already going to prison dude you weren't gonna get out
0: no but i think he wanted the notoriety of it like yeah, he wanted true. to be known for doing this thing i don't know how He's how big the superbike...
1: like I don't know
0: if the case was down there, but I imagine probably pretty big because you said it was a small town,
1: right? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, and it was the first quadruple homicide. I didn't know about it. Like, Chris knew about it because when Todd um, admitted to doing it um, and then they released it to the media. Chris was like, "Oh my god, he did superbike." I'm like, "What the fuck yeah. is superbike?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now that I know about it, like I'm glad like I'm glad that he admitted to it, but he's definitely he gives me BTK vibes. BTK all the way, dude. I hate BTK. BTK is a bumbling idiot, and I don't want to we're not going to talk about him, but yeah. I just know he's a bumbling idiot. There's there's a lot of per- <laughs> Per the words of Elena from Morbid, he's a bumbling idiot and she has never been more right. (laughs) Go listen to Morbid, everybody.
0: So, yeah, Todd, I just, I guess he wanted the notoriety for doing Superbike because he had already pled guilty. So, like you said, it's not like it was going to really do anything or change his sentence. Like, he was already going to get like, yeah, they hadn't.
1: They hadn't sentenced, like, they hadn't charged him with everything yet, but he was already arrested, and they were already gonna charge him for the three murders, and then Kayla's kidnapping and sexual assault. So then he, like, turned, then he's like, well, hey, since we're here, let me, let me tell you about this. But in the documentary... He says that he killed two more people and that they buried them somewhere. They haven't been able to find the bodies. Um, and he says he's not going to admit to the exact location because uh, he until the attorney general of South Carolina writes him that he will not be like no extra death, like no death penalty. Um, which in South Carolina, they don't have a public defender. They have or not a public defender. Um, a, What is it? Attorneys a DA. General. A defense...
0: Oh uh, yeah. Defense. A yeah. defense
1: attorney. They don't have a defense attorney. They have a solicitor. Um, yeah. And he was charged in Spartanburg, but he... But apparently the bodies are, like, somewhere not in Spartanburg, supposedly. So that's why he wants the attorney general to write the letter. Makes so sense. So that goes for all of South Carolina. But that has not been confirmed, so... I don't know. And like we said, he is a liar. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean... Yeah, because if he wanted, no, well, I don't know. With that one, I could see him doing that, using it as a bargaining chip. Because I mean, he doesn't I,
1: have anything else. Yeah, because
0: obviously he doesn't want to die, which doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, well, I mean, I, I it kind of it kind of does. I guess if he's a narcissist, he does he he doesn't want to die, but at the same time, it's I think like, he thought
1: he was going to get famous in prison, is what I think he thought.
0: Uh, probably.
1: Like, yeah. I, you, like you know how the prison has their own, like, chain of command? Mm-hmm. Almost, like, amongst the inmates. I think yeah. he thought he, if he admitted to all that, he would be on top. I don't know how his prison life's going. I don't care. <laughs> well, I'm
0: sure he also probably thought, like, other serial killers, people would, like, write to him and he'd be famous that way, too. Because I think I mentioned it in the Natalie Holloway no I didn't actually mention it in the Natalie Holloway episode because I didn't actually find out until after we recorded it but like Yorin some woman married him and he just had a baby and then Ted Bundy got married to somebody like I don't know there's this weird fascination with serial killers that I don't oh, understand oh didn't Richard Ramirez, Ramirez
1: get mar- married or people wrote to him I'm probably it's Ugh.
0: it's like I don't I don't understand that fascination I guess I don't want to boil it down to women like bad boys you know cause like that's that is
1: over the top bad boy okay um, like <laughs> I get motorcycles and leather jackets and a lot of tattoos I got like I can yeah. get it I see it but uh murder? Richard Ramirez didn't brush his teeth <laughs> i know that's not what the issue is but (laughs) like a
0: breaking point for you
1: (laughs) like i know he did a lot worse but like uh, the teeth man
0: (laughs) well thank you for sharing that case with us i'm glad that todd actually admitted like you said to the superbike so that 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 those families could have closure and, and Melissa's uh, doing really well, and so is uh, Scotty, her son. Yes, they're, they're doing very well. They are out in Arizona again,
1: correct? Yeah, that's where they live now.
0: Yeah, but Scotty still comes, like, they still come and visit Spartanburg a lot, so I think I think she and Brit are gonna have lunch next time that she's out there, so that'll be fun for her. <laughs> I'll be here doing nothing. But we are on social medias. Just find us. <laughs> We're on... That's uh, it. Just find us yeah. Just in there. Just find us. Um, We're on Instagram at Shockingly Wicked Podcast. We are on Twitter at wickedpodcast1. We are on TikTok at shockinglywicked. Side note, it wouldn't let me sign back into the thing, but I think I have the wrong password, so we will figure that out it's, after this. I was about so, to say the password. Yeah, do not say it. <laughs> 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 uh, we are on uh, Facebook as a Ew, Facebook group. I- do uh, <laughs> we are on facebook as a facebook group just search us up shockingly wicked podcast you'll see our logo as the icon it's a private group go ahead and click join it should automatically accept you and then we are also on youtube at shockingly wicked podcast we don't have a url yet so thank you guys so much for listening if you have any case suggestions feel free to email us at shockingly at gmail.com or you can dm, DM, can us, DM us on shut up <laughs> You can email, you can DM us on Instagram or on Twitter. I say us, but it's really just Brit because I don't check that stuff. Um, I get, I think that's everything. So again, thank you guys for tuning in. Tune in next week and we will see you then.
1: Bye. Bye.